Okay. Thank you for being here. Uh, we got PowerPoint coming. Hey, uh, I appreciate the elders for having me and uh, Doug for your work, uh, John, work of others on this event. Just thank you uh, for this occasion. Indeed, uh, uh, you're blessed to have an eldership, a leadership, who uh, indeed want to fortify the family. And I commend you for doing a good work. I thank my wife, Wanda. She's a blessing to me. I wouldn't be here uh, before you if it was not uh, for her influence and for Wanda. Hey, uh, I hope, uh, to the young men, I would say this. I hope you do it better than I did it, sooner than I did it better. That's really what uh, much of today is about. I hope our young men, husbands and fathers, even husbands and fathers-to-be, I hope you'll do it better than I did it sooner than I did it better. I think I'm doing it better, but I've been working at it for 41 years. And I hope uh, our lessons today will be an encouragement uh, to you. Uh, we started today talking about some very powerful social messages about men, right? And you know, I didn't mention it then, but it occurs to me, if you look at how men are depicted in the media, right, and in sitcoms and places like that, men are oftentimes what? They're the butt of the joke. They're, they're held out to be incompetent. Uh, they... they uh, uh, they laugh at the men, you know, because they're inept when it comes to relationships and such. Uh, there's a very powerful message that uh, men just are not that vital or that important. I hope you're getting a different message today. Uh, just how essential, just how vital uh, men are to the well-being of their marriage and their family. So we talked about three of the reflections of a gold sword uh, in our earlier lesson, our earlier worship time, and we want to pick up with that this afternoon and see if we can do a few more of those that might be helpful to us. Yes, we got it. We got it going. Uh, thank you to all the technology people and your help. A gold sword man will be a recreational companion to his wife and children. I suggest to you that children live by the pleasure principle. And frankly, we all do to some degree, right? Which probably explains why some of you had way too much to eat during our uh, a meal just a moment ago, right? We live by the pleasure principle. They actually call it comfort food for a reason, I guess, right? Yeah, we know what that means, the pleasure principle. But I would suggest to you that seriously that God is for fun, but God's for fun in the right way. Our children are going to find pleasure in this life, and they are either going to do it in healthy ways or unhealthy ways. They're either going to do it in appropriate ways or inappropriate ways. And I would even suggest to you that there is a spirituality to finding pleasure in the right things, to finding an enjoyment in life, uh, in the right way. If you refer to Ecclesiastes, any number of passages there, especially in chapter 5 where it talks about 
you being blessed and the labor of your hands being blessed and that you might enjoy life. It is a gift of God. And when I worked in adolescent drug rehab, I wanted my clients to be high. That might seem kind of strange to you when we were trying to get them for, to avoid getting high, right? They were on drugs. And I'm like, I want you to be high. I want you to be high on life. I think God intended for you to find great pleasure in life, great joy in life, even fun in life. But God is for fun in the right ways. And I would suggest to you that parenting is teaching your children to find pleasure in the right things. And there's a spirituality to that. Matter of fact, if you look at this picture here, you see the young man holding the fish in the middle? That's my nephew, Devin. He is now, I think, around a junior or so in college. But you know, I could take my phone right now and call Devin, and I could say this to him. Devin, fishing is having fun, and he would say in the right way. I could call him right now, and I'm confident he would say that. Why? Because his uncle, 20 years ago, started teaching him. Devin, fishing, and his father, I should say, taught him over many years how to have fun, how to find pleasure in life in the right ways. Amen. Oh, fathers need to be recreational companions to their children. I like to... Uh, do it like this. How to really, how to really love a child. Be there. Say yes as often as possible. Let them bang on pots and pans. If they're crabby, put them in water. If, if they're unlovable, love yourself. Realize how important it is to be a child. Go to a movie theater in your pajamas. Read books out loud with joy. Invent pleasures together. Remember how really small they are. Giggle a lot. Surprise them. Say no when necessary. Teach feelings. Heal your own inner child. Learn about parenting. Hug trees together. Make loving safe. Bake a cake and eat it with no hands. That sounds like fun. Go find elephants and kiss them. Plan to build a rocket ship. Imagine yourself magic. Make lots of forts with blankets. Let your angel fly. Reveal your own dreams. Search out the positive. Keep the gleam in your eye. Mail letters to God. Encourage silly. Plant licorice in your garden. Open up. Stop yelling. Express your love a lot. Speak kindly. Paint their tennis shoes. Handle with carry. Oh, you need to involve your children in age-appropriate uh, activities where they learn to enjoy life and have fun. And something tells me most of our families are doing a pretty good job of that. Matter of fact, you might be overdoing it just a bit, perhaps. Which is what makes, which is what makes number five so important. Listen to me, fathers. You're not only intended to be a recreational companion to your children, but you need to be a work companion to your wife and children. Oh, I can't say it enough. 
the number one missing link in parenting today, in my view, is work. Let me say it again. The number one missing link in parenting today is work. Think about it a moment. There's all the psychological benefits of work. I am needed. I am competent. I am capable. I have a contribution to make. What does teamwork look like? All the psychological benefits of work. Perhaps that's why 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 10 says, If a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. And we all know that an idle body is the devil's workshop. Oh, if you want to do something for your children, you give them a work ethic. You teach them to work. I would suggest to you that looking back on it, Reflecting on my own life, watch this. If I had it to do over again, I would work less and I would play more. Steve, I would have my children play less and work more. You hear me? I've always worked a lot, and if I had my life to do over again, Steve would work less and play more, and I would have my children play less and work more. Oh, so many benefits to good work. Let me see if a, a story would maybe illustrate what I'm trying to say here. Let's just take number four and number five. Recreational companions and work companions. Now get the picture here. I've got four older brothers. The t oldest two are twins. One of my older brothers, Jerry, is traveling up to North Mississippi to help his son-in-law build a shed. His twin brother, Larry, decides to go along for the ride, to spend the weekend, be there. He wasn't going to build the shed. He was just going to go help drive, keeping company, that sort of thing. So my older brother, Jerry, is building the shed with his son-in-law. What's Larry doing? Well, he's over here with Jerry's grandson, August, about seven years old. And so while they're building the shed, Larry is over here with August. What are they doing? They shoot some hoops. And then they'll stop and find some little chore to do. Oh, a sprinkler head needs fixing. So he'd get August over here digging the hole with him. And they repair the sprinkler head. Then they go back and shoot some hoops. They play some more. And then they find some other little odd job that needed done to go over here and work a little more. Then they go over here and play a little. All while Jerry and his son-in-law are building the shed, August is, I mean, Larry is over here with Jerry's grandson. Play a little, work a little. Play a little, work a little. Come Sunday, time to drive back home. Seven-year-old August goes up to Larry, says, Larry, you're my best friend. Out of the mouth of babes. What had they done? They'd spent two days working together a little, playing together. Work together, play together. Larry, you're my best friend. What did it do? It did this. Oh, you'll bless your children. If you'll play a little... Maybe work a lot. 
Isn't that good? Recreational companions, work companions. Now, let me pause here a moment and show you something. When I was working in adolescent um, drug rehab, first of all, let me preface this with saying this. When it comes to parenting, children are not like appliances. They don't come with a guarantee. There's not anything I can tell you about parenting that comes with a guarantee. It is all about increasing the odds. Do you hear me? Sometimes parents are way too hard on themselves that their children turn out a certain way. I'm here to tell you, uh, it, children don't come with a guarantee. Your role is to increase the odds, the probability that they will turn out well, that they have the opportunity to choose well and such, right? But I did uh, notice when I was working in uh, adolescent drug rehab that if you wanted a formula for a troubled, difficult, or otherwise rebellious teen, you take an un- or under-involved parent, you add negative peer pressure, and you throw in some bored boredom, and you're likely to have a troubled, difficult teen on your hands. Do you hear what I'm saying? You take an un- or under-involved parent, negative peer pressure and boredom, and you will likely have a troubled, difficult teen on your hands. Now, if you look at the five things I've shared with you so far, as far as reflections of the gold sword, individual relationship time and emotional bonding go a long ways to resisting the notion of un- or under-involved parenting. Positive role models we talked about are is designed to uh, negate the effect of negative peer pressure. And then boredom, look, around my house, you're not going to get bored because we're going to have some fun and we're going to do some work too, right? It won't be any boredom around here. You with me? How just the things we've talked about today, I think, can go a long ways to resisting the things that have a negative influence, impact in the lives of our children. Well, let's look at another one or two reflections of the gold sword, and we'll call it a day. Biblical principles of parenting. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Oh, what your eyes have seen. Well, what had their eyes seen? Do you think their eyes had seen the power of God working in their lives, the faithfulness of God in their lives? What is it you have seen? Your eyes have seen. Let them not slip from your heart as long as you look. Teach them to your children and to who? Your children's children, grandparents. If I have occasion to talk to grandparents, I call it intentional grandparenting. Oh, it's hard to be a parent these days. We, we, we need to help our children. Sometimes we grandparents need to stand in the gap. We need to help. We need to be intentional about our influence in the lives of our grandchildren. We need to teach not only our children, but our children's children. Proverbs 6, 20 through 23, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
And then prob <clears throat> no. Oh, I got the wrong verb. I got the wrong reference. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Uh, instead, bring them Ephesians. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And then Proverbs 6, 20 through 23. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light and the corrections of discipline are the way of life. Look at that. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart forever. Fasten them around your... Wherever you go, you take the teaching of your father, the teaching of your mother. When you walk, they will give guidance. They will direct your paths. When you sleep, they will watch over you. You can sleep in comfort. You can sleep in security because... You are governed, you are directed by their teaching. When you're awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp, this teaching is a light. They will give light unto your life. They will give direction unto your life and your teaching. Well, let me pause here a moment and remind you that last year when we talked about a godly husband, we said that a godly husband and father would be a pastor or shepherd in the life of his wife and children. And we went on and had a discussion about how some of us men find that difficult and hard, that, that we, can, we can have a, a spiritual involvement in church and in large group settings, but there's something different when we go home and how many of us struggle to form a spiritual intimacy with our wife and our children. That's difficult to, to do with someone with whom you may have conflict and such, or someone who knows your, your uh, hypocrisies, who knows your mistakes so well. Being spiritually intimate can be hard. And we said even that if there's secret sin in your life, you as a man will likely retreat from your responsibilities of leading your family in spiritual ways. But when we look at, uh, matter of fact, I mentioned to you then, when I listen to wives and women, I more often than not, I do not hear them saying that their husbands are domineering or controlling. More often than not, I hear women saying, I wish he would lead. I wish he would be a spiritual compass for our family, give spiritual direction to our family, would take the initiative. I wish he would speak up. I wish he would decide when it comes to spiritual, the spiritual direction of our family. And I take Deuteronomy 4 and Proverbs 6 and Ephesians 6, 4 is what it should have been. I, I take those saying, men, you need to speak up. You need to be proactive in teaching your children what you have seen and heard how God has worked in your life, and not only that, the ways of righteousness. You need to teach your children. So I would suggest to you that a gold sword man will teach God's commands in the way of life.
What do you teach? Well, I like to begin with what I call, or some would call, the pillars of character. Responsibility, caring, fairness, respect, trustworthy. We could put scriptures with all of these. Trustworthiness, citizenship, and life skills. You be proactive in teaching those things. Let me see if I can introduce that with a, a couple of men who, who wrote in that regard. Have you ever heard the bridge builder? I like this one. It might fit really well with the grandparents' role. An old man going along highway came at the evening cold and gray to a chasm vast and deep and wide through which was flowing a sullen tide. The old man crossed in the twilight dim. That sullen stream had no fears for him. But he turned when he reached the other side and built a bridge to span the tide. Old man said a fellow pilgrim near, you are wasting strength in building here. Your journey will end with the ending day. You never again must pass this way. You have crossed the chasm deep and wide. Why build you the bridge at the even tide? The builder lifted his gray old head. Good friend, in the path I have come, he said, there followeth after me today a youth whose feet must pass this way. This chasm that has been naught to me, to that fair-haired youth may a pitfall be. He too must cross in the twilight dim. Good friend, I'm building the bridge. For him. Isn't that good? Paul Harvey had something to say about teaching his grandchildren and what he would hope they would learn. Listen to what he had to say. He said, We tried so hard to make things better for our kids that we made them worse. For my grandchildren, I'd like better. I'd really like for them to know about hand me down clothes and homemade ice cream and leftover meatloaf sandwiches. I really would. I hope you learn humility by being humiliated and that you learn honesty by being cheated. I hope you learn to make your own bed and mow the lawn and wash the car. And I really hope nobody gives you a brand new car when you are 16. It will be good if at least one time you can see puppies born and your old dog put to sleep. I hope you get a black eye fighting for something you believe in. I hope you have to share a bedroom with your younger brother or sister. And it's all right if you have to draw a line down the middle of the room. But when he wants to crawl under the covers with you because he's scared, I hope you'll let him. When you want to see a movie and your little brother or sister wants to tag along, I hope you'll let him or her. I hope you have to walk uphill to school with your friends and that you live in a town where you can do it safely. On rainy days when you have to catch a ride, I hope you don't ask your driver to drop you two blocks away so you won't be seen riding with someone as uncool as your mom. Here's my favorite. If you want a slingshot, I hope your dad teaches you how to make one instead of buying one. I hope you learn to dig in the dirt and read books. When you learn to use computers, I hope you also learn to add and subtract in your head. I hope you get teased by your friends when you have your first crush on a 
boy or girl, and when you talk back to your mother that you learn what ivory soap tastes like. May you skin your knee climbing a mountain, burn your hand on a stove, and stick your tongue on a frozen flagpole. I don't care if you try beer once, but I hope you don't like it. And if a friend offers you dope or join or something, I hope you realize he is not your friend. I sure hope you make time to sit on a porch with your grandma and grandpa and go fishing with your uncle. May you feel sorrow at a funeral and joy during the holidays. I hope your mother punishes you when you throw a baseball through your neighbor's window and that she hugs you and kisses you at Christmas time when you give her a plaster mold of your hand. These things I wish for you, tough times and disappointment. Hard work and happiness. To me, it's the only way to appreciate life. Written with a pen, sealed with a kiss, I'm here for you. What he hopes for his grandchildren and what they would learn. Oh, fathers, you need to be teachers. You need to be teachers in the eyes of your grandchildren, of your children. And grandchildren. Let me get to where I need to be. I like this. Remember this. Tell me and I forget. Show me and I may remember. Involve me and I understand. Tell me and I forget. Show me I might remember. You involve me and I understand. I suggest to you that uh, when we look at the challenges of shaping the character and competence and faith of our children, there's only one antidote, and that is to increase activities at home that are designed to encourage the formation of character and competence and faith in our children. Now watch this. Here's something I would do different if I had it to do over again. If I could do it over again, I would do more than telling to teach my children. I would do more than modeling to teach my children. I think we did those things well. But I'm suggesting to you that at least for me, Steve, watch this, I would be far more intentional to design creative learning experiences to teach the character traits to my children such that those traits would become instilled within them. Again, tell me and I forget, show me and I might remember, involve me and I understand. Hey, I need to draw it to a close, but let me see if I can give you a few examples of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about creative learning experience. I wish I was far more intentional about these kinds of things. Watch this. Try this at home. Teach caring. Cut strips of paper and allow your children to write on a strip every time they demonstrate caring behaviors. When you see your child do something nice for someone or for you, allow them to write it on a strip of paper. So they're going to build this chain, uh, this caring chain. Watch this. Link the strips of paper to form a chain. When the chain reaches a specified link, treat your child to something they enjoy. Building a chain of kindness will help children become aware of their acts of kindness. 
would help involve them in ways that it instills it within them. My son and daughter-in-law have done so well on these kinds of creative learning experiences. When uh, our grandson Caleb was a little guy, I don't know, Wanda can correct me on this, uh, probably four years old, they have him downtown in a soup line feeding hungry people. There's little Caleb right there with him. Involved me and I understand. Is it surprising to you that a few years later, same grandson Caleb is celebrating his birthday? Instead of having all of his friends come and bringing gifts for his birthday, he says that he wants them to, to give some money and he would send it to the orphans that are over in India or somewhere. And that's what he did for his birthday. He raised money and gave it away. Involved me and I understand. You see what I mean? Oh, if I had it to do over again, I'd just be more intentional about uh, <clears throat> creative learning experiences in the life of my child that taught biblical principles of character. For example, teach responsibility. Help children make a chore chart and provide a reasonable allowance, whatever you want to call it, for chores completed on time. If the chores are not completed on time, take the money and hire a sibling to complete the chores. I kind of like that. But watch this. Have children do four things with their allowance, whatever you want to call it. Number one, save some money. Number two, do something nice for someone else. Number three, put a contribution in the collection plate. And number four, do something for themselves. Do you hear involved me and I understand? I'm saying to you, I know we did a good job of teaching our children. I know we did an excellent job of modeling for our children. And I'm sure we had some of these things. I'm just saying as far as Steve is concerned, I would be far more intentional about creating the kinds of learning experiences that foster the, the formation of character traits within the heart and mind of my grandchildren and grandchildren. We'll just maybe give you one more example. How about teaching fairness? I like this one. When you only have one candy bar, etc., ask your children how to divide it fairly. Allow one child to divide the candy bar and allow the other child to choose which half they want first. <laughs> I love that. Isn't that good? Teach citizenship. Teach your children the importance of taking care of the environment by collecting aluminum cans for recycling or spend an afternoon picking up litter in your neighborhood. Find somebody in your neighborhood that needs a good deed and you go serve them. And you take your child with you. You involve them. And watch this. You involve them, they'll understand. They'll, they're far more likely to own it. Okay, let me conclude here. I would uh, recommend certainly these kinds of activities. But let's conclude with uh, a gold sword man will be a prayer warrior for his wife and children. Oh, I love this prayer. Listen, I call it a father's prayer for today. It could just as easily be a parent's prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, make me a better parent. 
Teach me to understand my children, to listen patiently to what they have to say, and to answer all their questions kindly. Make me as attentive to them as I would have them to be to me, as I would have them be to me. Forbid that I should be indifferent in the face of their mistakes. May I always be mindful of the importance of my influence on their lives. Guide me day by day that I may demonstrate by all I say and do that faith produces eternal hope. Character is demonstrated in righteousness and honesty brings happiness. Reduce, I pray, the meanness in me. And when I am out of sorts, help me, O Lord, to hold my tongue. May I ever be mindful that my children are children and I should not expect of them the judgment of adults. Let me not rob them of the opportunity to earn their own way and to learn to do for themselves. Bless me with the bigness to grant them all their reasonable request and the courage to deny them privileges that would do them harm. And watch this. Make me fair and just and kind and fit me, O Lord, to be loved and respected and imitated by my children. Isn't that good? Isn't that a prayer that you could put, well, you know where it goes. It goes on the refrigerator, doesn't it? <laughs> or how about this? You could put it on their door or your bathroom mirror, right? Oh, Lord, fit me, oh, Lord, to be loved and respected and imitated by my children. That's my prayer for you today. That's my prayer for you men out there as husbands and fathers, that your wife and children can truly look at you and say, hey, he's a saint. Being with him is like walking with Jesus. If you have some need, if we can help you in some way, if we could pray for you, would you not come?